Isn't that a great line? Imagine you're drowning and someone throws you a baby. Pretty, pretty graphic. We had uh, three under three. We, never, we didn't have four, at least not that I knew of. We, we had three. That didn't come out the way I meant for it. Stand for the benediction, please. That shoe leather tastes pretty normal to me. We had three under three, and while I was in graduate school and Brenda was working, and we had moved away from our families, we were up in Portland, three under three, uh, and uh, in the middle of that, we were remodeling the house that we lived in while we had three under three in graduate school, and Brenda trying to figure out how to make all of this stuff work. So in the middle of that living room was a stack of sheetrock about this high. What a chaotic season. That was, so feeling like you're drowning and having somebody throw you a baby, even though we only had three, I can't, can't, I can, I can relate. This is a, a message that's about raising three under three or four under four or whatever you might, uh, you might have in your own life. But it's also, it's not a message that if you don't have children or you're already f- finished raising your little children, you should just check out of right now because this is also a message that gives us some insight into the fact that we are all parented. We are children of God. So it reflects on some, uh, some opportunities we have to invest in our children and the students and children around us. But it's also a reflection on the kind of parent God is to us, even currently. And I hope you'll engage with it that way, depending on where you're coming from and what your life situation is. It's from one of the most well-known texts about parenting, At first, we think it's a text about children, but it's really a verse, a single verse, written to parents, actually, from Proverbs 22, 6. Some of you will know that verse, maybe most of you. It's the one that the old school translations put this way. Raise up a child in the way he should go, and he will not depart from it. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now that we understand language a little better and can translate more accurately, we understand that that really was written for both genders and uh, more modern translations put it a little bit differently. But here's one of the ways that I've looked at that text for a long, long time until more recent years. Because, well, I looked at it in this way. Apparently, if you just read that text in its simple form, and apply the logic. Apparently, if your kids roll more than they rock the gospel, if they roll more than they rock being citizens, if they roll more than they rock being clear thinkers, apparently if you roll more than you rock as a child of God, him as our father, that means there's something wrong with the parent. Because the text says, the text seems at first glance to promise a guaranteed outcome if you practice the right things on this end. Raise up a child in the way that child should go. And that child will not depart from it even when they are old. So you apply the logic the other way. 
and look and we say, well, then that's a biblical promise. I look and my kids are all sideways. They're all sideways as young kids. They're sideways as adolescents. And I predict that they're going to stay sideways as adults. It looks like that's the direction they're going. According to the biblical promise, that means there's something wrong with me because they have departed from it. That must mean that I didn't raise them up the right way. That's what that text seems to be saying. A more modern version, the NIV puts it this way. Start children off on the way they should go. Get them started right. And even when they were old, they will not depart from it. They'll, from it, they'll still be moving in that direction in which you launched them when they were little. And so logically, when you do the reverse logic, you look and you say, well, they're not though. So I must have messed up on the front end. And it's, you know, it's a terribly encouraging, non-guilt-producing text read that way. If you're one of the parents who's doing the best he or she can, uh, trying to raise kids, in, and I've said this before, trying to raise kids in the cesspool that our culture is becoming. How encouraging is that? Not very. So you look and your junior high school kid or your college student or your high school kid departed, isn't rocking their faith. It's actually rolling. He's actually rolling their faith. You think you messed up. But more recently, in more recent years, I've looked at that. And with further study, when I ask the question, is that really the only way or even the right way to read this text? Is that actually what the writer of Proverbs meant to communicate? And if not, what are some of the insights this text gives us? about being a child of God that rocks, and about raising children of our own household that rock. Let's look at a few of those. Because, apparently, I'm going to say now that I don't think that is the way to read the text. It's a much more encouraging text than that. First point about kids that rock, and being a kid that rocks, because this is the way God raises us, is... Learn not from something the text says directly or overtly, but something it doesn't say. Because it's powerful to recognize what that text doesn't say. It speaks of the beginning of life and the trajectory in which we send our children, or God sends us. And the end of life, when it's almost over and we're old and we haven't departed from it. But it doesn't say that much about the in-between, which is most of our lives. The text doesn't say a lot about that. And it makes this point that kids that rock, by what it doesn't say, it makes this point that kids that rock have been raised with the freedom of choice. The proverb assumes birth and death and then all sorts of choices in between where there's this engagement between parent and child, between God and child. Decision after decision after decision being made and the freedom to make them in age-appropriate ways. And it assumes that there's something positive and sort of training-like that's going on with all of those decisions. First of all, let me just make a general statement about the nature of a proverb. Proverbs are statements of wisdom, but they're different than an actual biblical promise. They never intend to make a promise. What they intend to do is to recognize things that are generally true. 
Jesus makes a promise. I will never leave you or forsake you. That promise, take it to the bank. Jesus meant no matter what you choose, where you go, what you do, how badly you fall, skin your knees, or how well you do in life and faith, either way, I'm always with you. Whether you hear me, see me, smell me or not, I'm there. I will never leave you or forsake you. Even when I'm not real thrilled about where you take me, I will never leave you or forsake you. Promise. A proverb doesn't work that way. A proverb is more of a, of a, a general expression of truth, connections, tendencies, things that are likely, but it's not a guarantee. It's, proverbs are more artistic and poetic than they are scientific. They are, they are creative ways to make valid and truthful points. Here's an example, I think this will clear it up. Here's an example from a modern day proverb. Here's a modern day proverb. Ready? An apple a day keeps the doctor away. That's a modern day proverb. But it's not a promise. If we were to then apply the idea of, well, that's a promise, if that were in the Bible, that's a biblical promise. So if I eat an apple a day and a doctor still comes, there was something wrong with the apple I ate or the way I ate it. Because the Bible promises me that an apple a day, I must have skipped a day and not known it, you know, keeps the doctor away. But that's not the point of the proverb or the way I read it in, in some uh, thing I, I saw this week. An apple a day keeps everybody away if you throw it hard enough, but that's not the point, you know. <laughs> An apple a day keeps a doctor away simply is a creative uh, way to make a general point of truth. And that's this. There is a clear correlation between healthy eating and health. There's a correlation between unhealthy eating and sickness. That's the truth that creative statement is trying to make. And Proverbs and Scripture, though much less frivolous sounding than modern day Proverbs, work the same way. You raise up a child in the way that child should go, and we'll look at what that means in a second. And it's generally true that they tend to turn out in healthy ways. They tend to turn out in ways that are consistent with the way they were invested in or raised. Now, I said that my main point here is that children that rock have been raised with the freedom of choice. And that that point really is found in what the proverb doesn't say. It leaves this big gap in between its reference to birth and parenting and just before death and parenting. And it assumes all sorts of parental activity between us and our children, between God and us, his children. Just like that apple a day keeps a doctor away portrays a reasonable point, so does this proverb portray a reasonable tendency and then assume certain things that actually, I think, strengthen the point. In not making a guarantee about children, because it isn't a promise you can claim, it's a general truth you can be aware of, by not making a guarantee about children, it assumes the giving of both guidance and training in the middle of that great big area about which it references little or nothing. Because it's talking about training, it's talking about the results of that lifelong training. It assumes that we're sharp enough to realize we've got to be active as parents, just like God is active when he's parenting us all through life. He starts us, he's going to finish us, and then he's engaged with us no matter what we choose or do. We have choices. And he's teaching us the consequences of choices to manage our choices all along. 
and it assumes the freedom of choice. It implies that we already know the fact that parents have all sorts of influence on their children, and they can decide what the training is going to look like, but they have absolutely no control. Lots of influence, but no ultimate control over the results, over the choices of those children. And that's true of God in the way he relates to us too, isn't it? He influences, he teaches, his Holy Spirit is with us saying, no, nah, nah, that's not the way you want to go. Oh boy, that one hurt, didn't it? Let's, let's figure that out. Be better to do it this way. It's time to forgive that person. It's t- whatever he's saying to us. But he doesn't grab us by the arm and control our mouths and guarantee that we do what we're supposed to do. Maybe like me, you've prayed that prayer sometimes. Take away my freedom of choice. Just I don't want it anymore because I make so many bad choices and I'm so tired of disappointing myself and my heritage and my Lord. I just assume not even have the freedom of choice. But when God takes that away, it also takes away the opportunity for me to freely choose to love him. So he's aware of choices and consequences and teaches them as soon as possible. And this proverb assumes that we understand that. And it invites us to let go of the sense of the guarantee of faith and a healthy life for our children because we have no control over that. It can be raised brilliantly and still make choices that are not in their best interest. And it causes you as parents to lose sleep at night and your heart to ache. By the way, I think probably God loses sleep at night in his godly way. And I know his heart aches when his children make choices that are not so great for them. This proverb reminds us of that. So if you're thinking, my kids haven't turned out so well and it's all on me. No, you have a connection with the way your children turn out, whether they make good decisions or bad ones. But you're not responsible because you have no control over that ultimately. And parents that have been parenting a while understand that. It doesn't fix our broken hearts when they choose things that aren't good for them. But it sure can help with the sense of guilt, keep us healthy to be thinking well and reacting to them in ways that help them learn from their choices. Now, this is not, by the way, kids, this is a real risk in in strong families of faith. The tendency as parents and families of faith is to do just the opposite of what God, our heavenly parent, does for us. The tendency is to say, uh, I since there's a risk of my child making so many wrong choices, I want to protect them and keep them from the opportunity to choose. I'm going to actually control their choices, uh, hide them, cloister them as much as we can. And that's something that needs to be resisted, age appropriately, of course, but actually choices are opportunities to help a child grow. And God gives us choices and they're opportunities for him to help us grow. So in ways that are age appropriate, the sooner children have a chance to learn the correlation between their decisions and the outcomes, whether they're great or not so great, the better it is for them. Better to learn that stuff while they're young under the guidance of a wise, loving influencer, just like God does for us, than to be passive and let it go, and then they learn it all the hard way when they're older. The picture I had in my mind as I was preparing this was the picture of a wet dish rag. 
And I'm saying, man, the sooner we can wring that sucker out to use it to wipe down the counter, the better. Otherwise, it makes kind of a mess when it was intended to do something, something good. So, kids at Rock have been raised with the freedom of choice, just like we are being raised with the freedom of choice. Second point, kids that Rock, and now we'll dig more directly into the text, have been raised according to a plan. Launch a child well on the front end of life with an idea of which direction you're going to encourage them to go. Kids at Rock have been raised according to a plan. Parenting is not only emotional, it's strategic. We think through why we're doing what we're doing and we want our children to move in a certain direction even though they're the ones that are ultimately going to choose whether or not they stay moving in that direction. Just like God the Father does with us. Jesus calls us, come unto me. Jesus teaches us about the kingdom or the agenda or the leadership of God and invites us to choose this way, enter this way. And he even lived a life that showed us what that looked like. So we hear the message, we see the message. We've been raised according to a plan, and kids that rock have been raised according to a plan. They've been trained, not just taught. So part of what that means is that kids at rock have had influencers in their lives who don't just tell them how to live, but they show them how to live. They were trained more than they were lectured. They have influence in their lives, influencers in their lives that have sort of a watch me do this kind of lesson that they teach. They've been raised around that. Yesterday, uh, yesterday uh, Brenda and I were, went down to a little party down in Novato and we took our dog, said, let's take him on a walk, he's old, we never take him on a walk. We get down there, the sign says no dogs. The police officer came and pulled us and, and said, hey, you know, the no dogs allowed. I said, what do you mean no dogs allowed? This is Marin, dogs have more rights than people. How come I can take them, I can take them to Nordstrom's, I can take them in the restaurant, I can take them everywhere, but I can't take them on the street. I don't get this place. <laughs> We're walking around there and Brenda said, let's head on home. So we walked down the side street and we walked past a garage sale. And I said, oh, in my heart, no, Lord, no, 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 no. Brenda said, hold on a second, I wanna look at something. She goes over, she sees this, she sees this piece of furniture that she's been wanting for some time to go in, in our living room. And I didn't want a piece of furniture there in the living room. And uh, so I, I, let, I let her know that I didn't want the piece of furniture there in the living room. We go home. I am ranting and raving. She, I said, go ahead and look. I'm standing on the sidewalk. She goes and talks to the guy. I'm thinking, see, she, she's not going to buy it because, you know. We go home and she says, I really, I really want, I've wanted for some time just like that, a piece of furniture just like that. It's good for our budget. It's cheap. It's... I said, well, no, I, I, I don't want it. She said, well, I already bought it. I already told the guy I'd buy it. <laughs> and I started ranting and raving like a five-year-old holding his breath. My kids are seeing all this. My grandson, I hope he, oh, he wasn't there. That's right. We rescued him from that. But it was, and, and she goes back, to, I wounded her. And she goes back over, it's just a question of choice. When we're stuck, you know, she wants one thing, I want another thing. We have to figure that out. But it was awful the way I treated her. And she goes to pick the piece up. And the Holy Spirit began, I felt like he grabbed me by the shirt and pinned me against the wall and said, my son, 
if there's one thing that great lady of yours does not deserve from you, it was that. I felt really under conviction. So when she came back, I, I just felt like I needed to apologize for that. Kids should see that too. They see the mistake, they should see the recovery or the attempt at it. I had little footnotes to my apology. I said, I'm sorry, if you didn't deserve that from me, that was just wrong. That was immature the way I responded. But how about a kiss? So she came over and she gave me a kiss. And I said, I very much liked the kiss. I still don't like the furniture, but I, was, but I very much liked the kiss. So, uh, you know, go ahead and put it, put it there. Kids that rock see us living out the teachings of Jesus. They see us in our failures, but then they don't see us trying to pretend we didn't fail. They see us living out kingdom of God, which is honesty and forgiveness and, and confession and all of these kinds of things. Not just lectures. They actually can see it being lived out. And they already know we don't live it out perfectly, right? The idea that, oh, don't let your kids see weakness, don't let your kids fail. I don't think your lives with them should be dominated with that. But they already know we have weaknesses, and it's actually refreshing occasionally for them to see that we're aware of them. But that's for another seminar, I think. Uh, have been raised according to a plan. They're led early on in specific direction for life. The NIV translates this as I read it earlier. Start your children off in the way they should go. One Hebrew translator said it literally in Hebrew could be translated like this. Initiate the child at the opening or the mouth of his or her path. So there again is that front end from the day of birth. There's this idea that we have a plan for the way we're going to invest in our children. Just like coincidentally, God has a plan for the way he wants to lead and guide us. He has a a uh, an outcome he's looking for, a place for us to go and move toward. A phrase we'll use sometimes with our adult children, because we want to protect their freedom of choice and sort of the uh, small s sovereignty of their own lives. We had three under three, now we have three over 30. We, they're 33, 35, and 36. But they still come to us for advice. We're still their parents. They still need parenting. We're still twice as old as them and, as them and had made plenty of mistakes and would love to give them our input, but not in a way that makes them feel like kids again. So I'll, we'll often say this. Somebody will come and say, well, I, I did this or I chose this. And I like to use this phrase. Mm, that might be a decision you'll wish you made differently in a few years. But it's still yours to make. So it doesn't feel like, no, no, that's wrong and you should do this. But it's here, freedom of choice, you're an adult, but I'm not a passive dad, I'm gonna be an active dad, and a friend, and a brother in Christ. And so I, I need to tell you how I see it. I, I might not be wrong, I might be wrong, but I don't think so. I think you might wish later, you'll look back and say, I wish I would've made that decision differently. Just think about that. So there's this active engagement that's going throughout life, but I don't even think it's too early in adolescent years to give a, a with appropriate boundaries, our adolescent children, that kind of instruction. 
Because anytime we can see an opportunity for them to make a choice and to deal with the outcomes of that choice in a way that's not destructive for them, even though it might be painful, you actually are doing them and yourself as a parent a favor. I've learned that over the long haul with my kids. Moving them in a specific direction. They're trained, not just taught, and early on they're moving in a specific direction. There's a purpose, a strategy to our parenting and raised with a clear focus. So I mean this by that. Kids at Rock have influencers that know what they mean by rock. If I say, I want to raise a kid that rocks, I want to ask the question then, well, what do you mean by rocks? If, if a kid that rocks, if, a, mean, if you, all you mean by that is, uh, I want them to be able to hit the ball from the tee farther and better than any, any of the other kids on the team and throw the ball harder. That's a kid that rocks. That's my son down there. If that's all you mean by kids that rock, then it's not that hard to raise one. But if you mean what we mean when we use this title, the building of character, the building of humility, the, the heart things, uh, an honorable life, the difficult choices that encourage and bless people, regardless of how far they can hit the ball. That's a much more challenging thing, isn't it? You've got to know what you mean by rocks when you say kids that rock. Raised with a clear focus. It's what one commentator put this way. Raising a child the way that child should go as opposed to the way they would go. There is an idea, and we're moving in that direction. When our son David was in high school, we started thinking, oh, this guy is not going to be an accountant. He's going to be artistic somehow. He's a feeler. He's, a, he's artistic. Now, since that, those days, we've realized he's actually pretty good at details, too, and organizing. In fact, he's making his living right now organizing things for Compassion International. But he's primarily an artist. He can draw, he can sing, he can write, plays instruments. That's what his passion is. And long before he saw that, Brenda and I saw it. And so there was this time in high school where we thought we need to adjust his direction and invite him into a new direction that we think is who he really is. And so he wanted to get his driver's license, and we told him, you can get your driver's license, but not until you, take a, you join one of the choirs at your high school. The choir? I don't want to be in the choir well, good, you better learn how to walk then because you're not getting your driver's license until you pick which one you want, but you have to have one term in a choir. And so he signed up, not because he wanted to sing, but because he wanted to drive. And through that experience, it was one of our good moments of parenting because it launched him into understanding of who he really was, the focus of what his life should be. And now that brings him joy. Again, the second point. Children at Rock have been raised according to a plan. And all of that, there's one last thing I want to focus on in that point. That also means that they're raised not only in the direction that works for them, but in a way that works for them. In the way they should go. In the how-to that they should go. By means of a way that works for them. Or according to the tenor of that child. This is a temperament, a sensitivity to the way they are structured 
and the way that they are instructed according to the child's disposition. So you take into mind all of that disposition and say, this kid over here can get there by means of the freeway. This kid over here can get there by means of the side roads. This kid over here needs to hike on a trail. We're all going to the same place, but if I try to make that hike on the trail kid get there by means of the highway, then I haven't really done a service to them as a parent. And think about that. Isn't that true of God, the way he parents us? When Mary and Joseph had Jesus, do you think they raised him the very same way they raised his son, his brother James? They're two entirely different people with entirely different emotional constructs. Of course, one was God and one wasn't, so that would make a little bit of a difference. But there's a good example. We had one child, we have one child, who's primarily in a, a, compliant, uh, a compliant outgoing son. We have a, a reflective, tender, easily wounded son, but probably the most academically uh, gifted. We have our daughter. I've never met a more strong-willed child in my life. And she was almost introverted, but in, when she was home, boom, she'd tell you what she thought. Yet in a, in a respectful way. I mean, it was never really just totally out there, but boy, was she a strong... We had to raise those three different children understanding how they were built, how they were structured, and get them all to go the same place, but in a way that worked for each of them. And that's what God does for us. He looks at art and says, the extrovert, uh, kind of like the apostle Peter, foot in his mouth all the time, four children. He... Uh, <sighs> I'm not going to raise him the same way I raised his wife, who responds differently to different teachings and different challenges. And that's part of what it means as parents to raise children that rock. They've been raised according to a plan, trained, not just taught, literally in a specific direction for life, raised with a clear focus. We know what it means by rock when we say rock, and in a way that works for them. Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3 both talk about, hey, don't, uh, don't provoke your child to anger. Don't, don't exacerbate that child by the way you raise them. Same experience two children have, but you deal with it a little differently so that they can have success and learn from the experience. There's not just one way to do this. So, final point. Kids that rock. Raise with a purpose going in a certain direction. They are raised in the context of choices and the consequences of choices, freedom of choice. And they've been raised while being encouraged. They've been raised being encouraged while they were still on the way. They've been encouraged and engaged while still in route. Remember Urkel? I love Urkel. Saying, yeah, way to go. So this, this adolescent... This child that rocks, this kid that rocks, this old man or woman that still rocks, usually you look back at their history, they were raised by influencers, parents, whoever it was, that remembered what it was like to be them, to be their age. That was a student, him or herself, that parent of culture, that knew that when they were sending their kid to school, here's what that, that child was experiencing at school, or would experience at college, or was experiencing in the corporate world. The parent looks back and says, man, I know what they're going through. 
And I'm going to keep that in mind while they're going through it. And here's my point. Having understood that, while understanding that, that influencer, whether it's God influencing us or us influencing our children, while that person is en route to becoming something great as an older person, and still in the context of making mistakes and making decisions that they would wish they made differently later, when you see something great in them, you point it out, even while they're on the way. Well, seven of the decisions, as I look back at my kid's life, weren't so great. The kind of the way I would have made decisions when I was her age. I remember what that was like. But three of them were fantastic decisions. I mean, they made a mistake, but then they made the great decision of coming to me and saying, I screwed up. And now I got myself in trouble. Can you help me? It was a good decision to come and talk to parents about that, wasn't it? On the heels of a poor decision. And kids that rock were raised by influencers who can stop while they're still making, kids are still making decisions they would make differently later, and find the two or three they've made that were brilliant decisions and point them out and encourage them and say like Urkel's saying, good job on that though. That's the way we do it. Because we're here to help you. So you come to us and you talk to us when you're in trouble. That was great. You really knocked out of the park there. That was a great decision. Now this other decision, let's learn from it. It wasn't just a mistake, it was a choice. So let's learn from that. Is that, like I'll say to my kids, that's, that's not the kind of man Greco men are, right? Yeah. Okay, so how can we use what you just learned, all the feelings involved with it, all the choices involved with it, all the outcomes and consequences involved with it? Here are the consequences, but how can we learn from that too? And what are you feeling? What do you think about that? Because that's not the kind of man we're going to be if you're a Greco man. But coming and talking to dad about it, man, high five on that. One time, one of our kids came and had, was making a choice that I, didn't, I, I knew was not going to be the best choice for them. But I wanted them to have freedom of choice, even if I didn't agree with the choice. And I remember saying, hey, have, have you been doing this or that? Yes, I have. An adult kid. And I said, oh, that's a decision I think you might wish you'd made differently later on. But thanks for, thanks for being honest with me about it. You know what my child said back to me? It was one of the most encouraging things I've ever heard from that child. Well, thanks for being the kind of dad where I could be honest with you about it. While they're moving, even though they're making all kinds of mistakes, by the way, that we often made too when we were their age, we point out the things that are fantastic about them and we affirm the good choices even while they're still making many bad choices. Kids at Rock have experienced that from their parents. Why? Because their parents apply the principle of Christ in parenting. I know how you were made. He's been through everything we've been through yet without sin. I know that you're just clay with cracks in it. God understands us, and when we see, he sees things in us that are good decisions. He affirms them in us. And when he sees things in us that are not good decisions, he teaches us from them without pretending they were okay. And that's the goal. You lift them up, you encourage them while they're still on the way, just like God does for us.
How do you do that? I think, think in terms of goals and hopes. So hope is a spiritual concept. We have hopes for our children. And then we have goals for our children. They're more measurable concepts. Hope is a concept that involves things like teaching and prayer and work of the Holy Spirit. We have no control over hopes, but we hope for our children. But we have practices we can get involved with, like when they're little tiny babies and they fall asleep like this with their thumbs still turned in. What do you, they sleep on their stomachs now or their backs? I forgot. It changes every 10 years. Yeah. But that's when you hope, you hope for them that they will come to Christ and walk an honorable, Christian, faithful life. And so parents, you know what that means you do? You sneak in at night when they're asleep and you lay your hands on their little soft heads and you pray things like, Holy Spirit, own this one. Craft this one. Write this one's name down. I used to pray for our little David when he was in the crib still. Find me on my very best day of spirituality in my whole life. Go find that day. And then make this kid twice that man. Pray things like that. And then you hope for an outcome. A goal is, have a goal for where you're going to college or how much education you're going to have or you know, how fast you drive in the neighborhood or teach you to be kind. And Those are goals. So how in the world do we help kids uh, along the way to be encouraged when they do well and to be learning when they fail. We think in terms of hopes and goals. And I think that makes it a little bit easier. This last little piece of advice, and then I'm going to set you free. Here, look, parents, there are a lot of things we shouldn't do, but the one thing we cannot do is panic. Remember what this text started with? Launching, when they're starting, train them up right away when they're from their birth. And then it moves all the way over here to, and the result is going to be that when they're old, they will not depart from it. That's kind of like the text saying, look, get started right, and then look, don't judge how well you did or how well they did until the last chapter is written. It's when they're old, they will not depart. It doesn't say when they're adolescents, they will not depart from it. It doesn't say when they're older, they will not depart from it. The encouragement there, among other things, is this. Look, relax and don't panic. This is a novel still being written all through life. This novel is being written. It is not over yet. Stay with it. Stay engaged. Stay aware. Stay calm as much as that's possible. And you're hearing that from a parent of three kids, so I know it's not possible. But do the best you can. Because this thing is not over until the last punctuation mark is put on the last sentence of the last chapter. And that's when we know how we did. And isn't that the way God treats us as a parent? He walks with us on the in-between. He launches us, and he holds on to us, and he teaches us. And when it's all over, he redeems us. The one thing we can't afford to do is panic. Kids need more from us than that. I was watching the, uh, a, a news show the other day about free-range parenting. Free-range parenting, this is some parents in New York City, I think it was, or someplace in New York, and what they do is they get the kids dressed, get them breakfast, they've got 
grade school kids, maybe one young junior high kid, but three kids, and they say to them, okay, uh, see you at dinner. Kind of like being on a cruise, you know, go have fun, see you at dinner. And the kids go, they can take a bus, they can go down to the New York City, they can go, they could, as long as they can get back by dinner, they can do whatever they want without ever checking in with the parents. Like a free-range chicken, except these are free-range kids. At the end of the day, this is the philosophy of parenting that some are using now. At the end of the day, the kids come home and they say, okay, what'd you learn on your journeys today? Well, I learned the hard way not to talk to strangers. In fact, I almost didn't make it home. I had to escape, you know. Whatever they might have learned, the parents are thinking that's the way to go. Now, that's the way I was raised, but not on purpose. I mean, just the way things were when the whole community sort of raised every kid. You take your bike, go someplace, come back at lunch or come back at dinner and that worked. But that's not probably the best way to raise kids today. It's a different world. It was never a good way to raise children intellectually, to have no contact with them as they formed values and thoughts. But that's a style of parenting today. In fact, the state is thinking about bringing child protective services in on these parents for being free-range parents in that way. Kind of reminds me of my Uncle Tom, my dad's oldest brother, back when I was in high school. He was the ultimate free-range parent, except not in a healthy way. I remember a conversation my uncle and my dad were having, because my dad always had my brother and me, my sister when possible, but he always had us with him working on trucks and fixing transmissions and greasy hands, hauling hay, fixing fences. Wherever dad went, we went and we helped him. We hated it. <laughs> and my uncle was some, one time talking to my dad about parenting and always having kids with you, and my uncle says, ah, this is almost verbatim. Ah, give them a hunk of cheese and a slice of bread and they'll figure it out. And I remember my dad, this is not verbatim, but it's a sense of what he said. My dad saying something like, no, Tom, that's not true. They usually don't figure it out. And even when they do, my dad communicated, it's not without a lot of pain and brokenness and the hurting of innocent people. And my dad said, no. If you, if you want them to have a good chance to figure it out, you've got to show them how to figure it out. That's what Proverbs is talking about. Get them launched right, just like God launched us right. Walk with them, teach them, encourage them, correct them, and then celebrate at the end of the story and encourage them along the way. Raise up a child the way you were raised up by your Lord. And when that child is old, the likelihood is they will not depart from what they learned. In the meantime, don't panic. Just stay faithful.